So I guess there's never a good time to hear about the heading of the beheading of, of John the Baptist. But it's what comes after, I think, that is really telling about who Jesus is and who he was as a human. It's, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around this Jesus who was fully God and fully man at the same time. It's, it's a mystery, and yet it was all part of God's plan for us. And that's what the epistle in Ephesians this morning is about. It's, it's about Jeremiah 29, 11, where God says, I have a plan for a hope and a future. It's about the beheading of John the Baptist and what Jesus' response was when he heard that news. He was humanly sad, but the very next thing he did was he went out and healed someone. That speaks to the compassionate nature of who God is. And that's what Paul is talking about here in this plan in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning at verse 3. Hear what Paul writes. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love, he destined us for adoption as children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the beloved Jesus Christ. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. That's that reckless love of God that the kids were singing about. He lavished his love on us. With all wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, that he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. See, this morning, the leading of the Holy Spirit is, is telling me that maybe it's time for us to review the basics. We all need a review from time to time. I know I do. We need to review the basics. This morning, as I stand here, I'm pressed upon to take these verses from Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus and to remind us all of the foundations of our faith. Because Paul tells us here that God has a plan. God has a plan. And that plan involves him, and it involves his son, and it involves the Holy Spirit, and yes, it involves you and me as well. And that plan is centered around Jesus Christ. So this morning we're going back to basics, and in order to do that, we need to look at Jesus Christ in Genesis. Sounds a little strange, doesn't it? You're 
probably thinking, Pastor, I've read Genesis, and I don't see the words Jesus Christ in any of those chapters or verses. And we tend to think of the books of the Bible, that when, we, when we think of Jesus, we tend to think of the books of the Bible that, that talk about his birth and his ministry and his death and his resurrection, right? That's, that's what we think of when we think of Jesus Christ, isn't it? We might think of his disciples carrying his word throughout the remainder of the New Testament. We might think of that. But I'm here today to tell you about Christ in terms that are a little less frequently talked about, but they're just as real and they're just as valid. They're just as important to understanding your faith as the Christ that you know in the New Testament. I want to talk about Christ of the Old Testament. I want to talk about Christ at the beginning of book, the Christ that we see in Genesis. Now, if you've read Genesis, you don't see the word Jesus Christ in there. That's true. On the surface, it may appear that Jesus doesn't have anything to do with Genesis. But what is the opening chapter of Genesis about? Anyone? Yes, sir. God, God yes. Absolutely. Creation. Creation, yes. The opening chapter of Genesis is about creation. In fact, the very first statement, it says, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The story, the plan, our story, begins with God, the creator, an all-powerful God who out of nothing created something by the sheer force of his will. Perfect God creates perfect heaven and perfect earth. And everything begins with God because all things begin with God. All things. And so in the six days that followed, told you we were getting to the basics. In the six days that followed, God transformed the heavens and the earth, making them into works of his perfect will. God creates order out of nothing. And when everything is said and done, God proclaims his creation, including humankind. He says it's good, but not just that. When he gets down to you and me, when he gets down to creating humans, he says it's very good. Well, what happened to very good? See, what, what's particularly interesting is that God's creation or the activity of his creating wasn't done there. Because the fact is, God is still creating today, isn't he? 2 Corinthians 5.17 If anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. Each one of us, when we accept Christ, we undergo this, this transformation, this regeneration, this Genesis experience. Where we become newly created, we become just as humankind was in the beginning. Perfect. The perfect image and likeness of God. That's amazing, isn't it? Choose Jesus and be transformed into the original state of creation that God intended for you. And then in the next 
next couple of verses in Genesis, they paint a picture of this transformation process. And it's the same process that each of us goes through when we accept Jesus and become saved. Right? That's the word we use, saved. It's a transformation process. Listen, verse 2 talks about it. It says, The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the water. Well, how is that salvation, Pastor? See, each of us, before we're touched by the saving grace of God, are formless and void. Formless and void. We're empty vessels and we're walking the earth in search of something. We're in search of satisfaction. And we attempt to fill the void with all manner of things. Careers, hobbies, relationships, and whatnot. And as those things fail to adequately fill this emptiness in our core, some of us resign ourselves to what I call the mediocrity of the unfulfilled. In other words, we convince ourselves that this is as good as it gets. I bet that running up and down the streets of Shepherd, Texas, there are hundreds of people who think every day that they wake up in the morning that this is as good as it's ever going to get for me. Because they are formless and void. And then some of us, as, as we try more desperate means of filling this void, we immerse ourselves in these relentless pursuits of money and status and power and possessions, things like that. And then though, when those things fail to satisfy, and they will, then there are some of us who escalate into behaviors such as alcohol and drug abuse, unhealthy relationships, self-destructive activities. Our lives are without structure. We're formless and void and we're living in the darkness and we're over our heads in what Genesis calls the deep. Right? Oh, I've seen the deep. I've been in the deep. Oh, I have stories and one of these days I'll tell them. Your pastor was not a perfect human being, I promise you. I have been in the deep. I have said to myself, is this as good as it's ever going to get? But then Genesis says the Holy Spirit of God is there. He is there moving over the surface of the water, the very water in which we humans are treading like mad to stay afloat. And just as we're going under for the last time as our heads are hopelessly covered by this dark, deep water. That's when we just reach up our hands. You've had this experience if you're saved. It may not look just like this. It may not even sound just like this. But you have lifted up your hands and you have cried out, Abba, Father, save me. Maybe you just said a prayer. Maybe someone led you in a prayer that led you to Jesus. It, it might have sounded and looked different but essentially what you said as you were going under for the last time was Abba Father save me and then 
verses 3 and 4 of Genesis chapter 1, they say, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. The Holy Spirit reaches down into the deep dark water and he grabs us by the hand and he grabs us by the heart and he points us to the light and the light was Jesus Christ. The Spirit shows us the light and the light is Jesus Christ. John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. See, as we accept Christ, the Bible says, then we too become light. We are the light of the world. And because we're the light of the world, God now sees us. And when he does, he sees that we are now very good. We are acceptable to God the Father. When we decide to follow Jesus, we no longer walk in darkness, but we have the light of eternal life within us. We are separated once and for all from the darkness of our former hopeless void existence. And we say that we are safe. That process has to be Christ-centered. Christ-centered. To be saved, you have to be in Christ. Or, or maybe more correctly, you have to accept a relationship with Christ as Savior. See, the story of salvation didn't begin in the manger. It didn't begin when Jesus took the form of a human being in the manger. It began long before that. 1 Peter 1, verses 20 and 21. For he, Christ, was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. You, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. See that word foreknown? If you look at the original text, it means actively involved in, which tells us in no uncertain terms that Jesus Christ was not just present for, but he was an active participant in the creation of the world. Christ was an architect. He was the architect of the plan for the universe, including our world and our salvation. If, if he can be a participant with God the Father in the creation of the universe, do you think he can handle the recreation of you and me? Oh, yeah. Our salvation. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. These are the basics. As a new creation in Christ, the sinner is saved by what? By grace. <coughs> and then through an act of repentance, we turn away from our wickedness and we turn to Christ and we accept him. We believe on him and then we can approach the throne of God blameless, spotless, 
without the sin that was weighing us down, keeping us under that dark, deep water. And the process begins not with us, but with God. Ephesians 1.4 says, God chose us in Him, Christ, before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before God in love. So I, I want to make sure this is this is foundationally clear. Before God create, created the world, before the sixth day when he created man, he knew that we would be tempted and fall out of grace by sin. God knew that we would mess things up even before he formed us into being. Our, our sin did not take God by surprise. In fact, he had a plan to deal with our sin before it occurred. The scripture says he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. Does that sound like a God who was surprised by our sin? No. to believe on Christ to fully engage in the salvation process. What does that mean, Pastor? Well, it means salvation doesn't occur without our fulfilling our end of the deal, which is to believe on Him, to repent of sin, to turn away from sin, and to turn toward Christ, to confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. Why does this matter to us today? Well, it matters, church, because once we get outside these walls, I think you'll agree that the world is kind of a crazy place. I don't have to tell you that people are struggling and in fear for their day-to-day -day existence out there. In the natural world, there's this thing called chaos, and it's not, it's not what... What was the game at camp? Chaos? Yeah, it's, it's much more serious than that. If, if you turned on the TV this morning and you were getting ready to come to church, there was, in all probability, if you clicked on the news, I don't recommend it for a Sunday morning, it's not good for your spiritual being, there was probably a robbery last night. There's probably uh, a home invasion or a fire something that ripped apart yet another family. And as you got dressed, you might have quietly to yourself said a little prayer for these devastated families, the ones on the news, right? We know those people, right? And perhaps we said a prayer of thanksgiving that it wasn't you or your family 
That's okay. I know I've done it, thanking God silently that by His grace and mercy, while I slept and my family slept, that the evils of the dark night passed us by like the Passover, left us in peace to wake up safe and sound in our beds so that we could get ready for church and come here into this sanctuary. That's why it's called a sanctuary, because in here, it's safe. Out there, not so much, right? Sometimes it seems that there's just no hope for things to get better. In fact, every indication in the world shows that things might get worse before they get better. That's, that's the world view. But see, that's if it depended solely on our own ability to fix things. Because remember, God has a plan, right? God has a plan. The good news is that it doesn't depend on us. The good news is that there is a plan. There is a plan that was put into motion before the fall of Lucifer and those angels, before the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden, before you took your first breath of air on this earth. There is a plan. You see, the gift of your salvation was not an afterthought. God didn't sit stewing in heaven after Adam and Eve partook of that apple about how mankind had messed things up and then then decide that his only option to get his wayward children back was to go to plan B. Plan B was not when God the Father went to God the Son and said, well, I guess somebody's going to have to go down there and clean this mess up and pay for all the damages. God didn't mess up when he created us. He didn't have to rethink everything he had created. God is not in heaven second-guessing himself because God is a God of second chances, not a God of second guessing. His plan for our salvation is not the result of his miscalculation during the creation process. He didn't go, oops. You see, it was plan A all along. From the very foundation of the world, plan A, no plan B. 1 John 4.19. This is an important point. We love because he first loved us. See, God loved us in the beginning, so he chose us. That's a powerful motivator, isn't it? God's love. He chose us. And we, when we choose Christ as our Savior, well, that's loving God in return. That's our response. That's the redemptive process of salvation in its purest form. You're all theologians now. God is omniscient. That means he's all-knowing. It's his character. God knew before the foundation of the world. God knew before he created us that this is the way that it would go. We would fall, we would die, we would be separated from him, we would spend eternity apart from him in hell, except if we choose Christ as our Savior. Now I've looked many times, there's no other way of redemption. None. Not a single other way 
except choosing Christ as our Savior. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three persons, one God, laid out the plan in the beginning before everything was made. It was a magnificent plan. There was no plan B. It was plan A the whole time. This was the plan. The plan. From the time God created the heaven and earth to the time he created humankind to the time humankind sinned against him and fell from grace to the time God sent the Son to pay for our sins with his death on the cross to the time when each of us individually chose Christ to redeem us and bring us back to the Father. That was the plan all along. See, God wants us to want him. What's more, he wants us to use our free will to get to him. See, we're not angels. We don't, we don't know him in fact. We are humans, and we know him in faith. Angels get to see him every day, and so they worship him. I mean, wouldn't you? You see God face to face. Your response would be worship. Humans choose to love him based purely on the faith that he exists and worship him in faith without seeing him. That's a tremendous thing church I want you to understand the Bible says that the angels in heaven look into our worship to see how worship in faith is done right now we're teaching angels how to worship what a responsibility that is but what a gift that we choose God a God that we can't see every day and so where do we go from here? What do I do with this foundational information now that I have it? See, I don't want to send you out of here today with, with all this foundational uh, review, all these basics, without something useful to take with you into the rest of your week. I don't want to send you into the chaos of the world without asking the Holy Spirit to move in this place and meet each of you where you are now in your individual faith journey wherever it is you're at and giving you something to encourage you to take a step further to take a step out of your comfort zone and to ask him to enter your circumstances and heal something specific with his touch the way only God can do I don't know what it is. There may be health concerns. There may be some fear of the unknown. There may be broken relationships. There may be financial problems. There may be problems at work. Whatever the situation is, God knows what you need, and the Holy Spirit was sent for times just like these. He's called the Holy Comforter. He is the descending dove of peace that passes all understanding. He's all these things. So invite him in and allow him to work in you on your behalf. I'm close to wrapping up, but this is important. So I want you to get it. Remember, we're going back to the basics today. And I want you to be encouraged as you gaze expectantly into the distance of your future, this hope in a future that Jeremiah tells us, right? The God who planned for your redemption also planned for your future to be good and to be prosperous and productive. Remember, Jeremiah 
29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. I hope you'll take that and let it encourage you today. I don't know, write it on a post-it and stick it to your windshield. So it's there up in the corner next to your easy tag if you have one. And so if you're encouraged by a hope and a future, also be challenged when you go out of here today. Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. Therefore, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, doing what? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Don't look at the problems, look at the solution. The author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What does he do there all day? Well, he's right next to the Father, and he whispers words of affirmation and tells God, that's one of mine. That person is one of mine. through the Holy Spirit that dwells in you, you get transported into the midst of the Holy Trinity. And all you have to do is lift up your hand and say, Abba, Father, save me. Save me. You may have accepted Jesus Christ many years ago. You may have accepted Him yesterday. But every day, you choose Jesus, and you say, Abba, Father, save me. Save me today. Let's pray. Father God, creator of the universe, maker of all things, seen and unseen, Father, we give you praise. We give you honor and glory for the perfect plan you set into motion before the foundation of the world. Before anything was made, Father, before you spoke the word and out of nothing you caused the heavens and the earth into being, before any of that, you knew how our individual salvation would be accomplished. And so we give you all the glory, Father, that your perfect plan remains in motion as it was, as it is, as it will always be to bring your children back to you as blameless and as spotless as you created us to be.